This morning's reading is taken from John chapter 4, verses 43 to 54. Jesus heals an official's son. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet had no honour in his country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. And there was a a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Caponium. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was clothed to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The the royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that the boy was living. When he inquired as to what time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realised that was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and the whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. So we're continuing to think a bit about generosity, uh, the generosity that God shows and how we might live generous lives um, in order to live more like Jesus. We're slightly out of order in the the way in which the the passages come, because last week we looked at chapter 5 and we've gone back to chapter 4. But I felt today was quite important to do um, chapter 4, because it's talking about compassion. And being Mothering Sunday, it seemed to be a really good theme to think about um, compassion to think about how God shows compassion to us, how Jesus showed compassion, how mothers show compassion. And we know that a parent will do anything to help their child, be it a mother, be it a father. We only have to watch news reports to see in some of those areas around the world where you know there's people fleeing for their lives, where there's drought, where there's famine, just how much a parent will do to actually reach out to their child. And they do it because of what comes from their heart. It's, a, it's an innate, instinctive thing. That compassionate response to their child is so natural and so precious. My mother grew up in the war. She was born in 1938. And she looks back, and at the time she was just a small child, but she thinks her mother gave most of her food ration to her as a child so that she had enough goodness to eat. And so she must have gone without for times during the war. And, um, you know, she's sorry that her own mother's been died a long time and could never actually really acknowledge that. But as she looked back and thought, she must have done that for me. She was sure that part of that meagre meat ration, that egg, she received as a child because she was so little. And um, as a toddler growing up, her mother wanted her to have everything she could in a time of need. We can see that picture. We know what it is like. And in this passage, we see Jesus responding from a heart of compassion. 
He's responding to the official because of what's going on in his heart. And it's not the only example. We see time and time again how Jesus shows generosity through compassion from his heart. In Luke, Luke was a doctor. The gospel writer Luke was a doctor. And he writes a lot about people. And he writes a lot about how Jesus came with this sort of compass pointed towards the poor and to those in need. And in chapter 4 of Luke, Jesus has just begun his ministry. He's been baptized and he's beginning his ministry. And he writes of Jesus going to the temple and being given the scroll and reading the scroll and quoting from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Many people say that they look on that passage as the manifesto of Jesus. We know all about manifestos. Laying out what you intend to do. And in Luke's gospel, it's framed importantly at the very beginning, this passage. Because Luke wants us to see the compassionate heart of Jesus with this compass pointed towards those who are broken, those who are in need, out of real love and concern for them. So it's a really special passage, but it's not the only one that shows this. But if we look at it just briefly, it's on page 1068, if you want to have it in front of you. We've got, we've got the official, but we also have the people of Galilee. And they're both watching this incident. And Jesus knows that they are both responding from different motives. So I want us to to look a little bit about the contrast between what the Roman official is looking for and what the Galileans are looking for. Because Jesus says some quite interesting things. At the beginning, it says that Jesus has pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. We've got that in brackets. There's a little bit of explanation from John as to the reality for him of going into Galilee. He's not going to be recognized. Um, And it says, though, that the Galileans welcomed him. But later, we see in verse 48, Jesus saying this, Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. So the Galileans have welcomed him, but with a particular motive. They are far more interested in the miracles. They're far more interested in watching what Jesus is able to do. They're far more interested in the sign. And we've said already that in John's gospel, these miracles act as signs. And the word that John uses for the miracle is semia, which means sign. And a sign points to something. The Galileans are more interested in the sign than what it's pointing to. And that's deeply sad. They love watching the miracles. And as time goes on, they demand more and more of Jesus. Show us what you can do. They're far more interested in what he does than who he is. Whereas the Roman official, not a Jew... They're looking after the the, um, peace of the land, ruling it, trusting that there'll be kind of good citizenship and people will behave themselves. 
He is in a strange place with a different religion. And he comes to Jesus out of desperate need. What has it taken him to come and ask for help? We don't ask for help easily. And he's an official, a foreigner, a strong person, and he comes to Jesus to ask for help. So he's desperate. His son is so ill. Out of desperation, he comes to speak to Jesus. And he comes because he must believe. He must believe that it's worth doing that. It's worth the embarrassment of coming and asking for help. Because he's interested in who Jesus is. He sees in Jesus something of God. And he comes to him for that very reason. And his response, when Jesus says, go, your son will be healed, he believes. He doesn't question. And he makes his way back. And as he's traveling back, the servant comes and says, you'll never believe it, your son is better. What time was he better? And the time that he was better was the time in which Jesus had spoken those words. But the official had believed Jesus before he saw the evidence. Something about this man that he knows is more than just a miracle worker. He's interested in who Jesus is. The healing happens, and the official and all his household believed. They turn their lives around. They make Jesus the center of their life, a change of heart, a change of faith, a change of religion, a change of life. And in the healing incident, in the healing of his son, the official and his household receive so much more. Not only is their son restored to health, but they receive the fullness of God. And they know the reality of the truth that John had said in the beginning of his prologue, the word became flesh and lived among us. They have seen the reality of God living in Jesus, the fullness of God in this man, Jesus. So Jesus responds to this desperate need. You can imagine that someone comes to you and they are desperate. And your heart aches for them. And Jesus was human as well as divine, and his heart would have ached for this man. As it did in so many other situations, with the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, the outsiders. Where does he spend his time? With those who are aching, with those who are not accepted. So if his compass, if Jesus' compass is pointed towards the broken, so should ours be. We're not singing this one today, but we do often sing a song that has this phrase in it, break my heart for what breaks yours. Break my heart for what breaks yours. That's a really powerful prayer. And as we sing that, I don't know if we actually realize what we're asking. We're asking God to break our heart for what breaks his. And his heart breaks as he looks down on a world that is broken. And as we pray that prayer, as we sing those words, we are asking that we too might have hearts that break. That we are willing to be moved, to be disturbed, to be inconvenienced by the hurting and broken world. That is a huge prayer and not one to take lightly.
because it is inconvenient. But if we want to live lives of generosity in compassion, that is where we need to look. Where are the brokenhearted in our community? They will not be the same brokenhearted as Jesus was with because we live in a different time, in a different age. But there are people who are brokenhearted living amongst us. How easy do we find it to come close to them? Sometimes their stories are painful. Sometimes we don't know what to say. And it hurts us to walk with them. But if we want to be like Jesus, that's a place to be. Where are the people who are hurting? In our world, in our nation, in our community. And how can we come alongside them to show the love of Jesus, that generosity of compassion? Where is there suffering? Where is there injustice? These places will be different for each one of us. But there is something that we learn in Jesus that if he is spending time there and we want to be like him, we can't ignore that, no matter how difficult, painful, inconvenient that is. And as we do that, as we find ourselves in those places, what do we discover? We discover that Jesus is already there. And actually, we experience so much more of Jesus in being there as we do not being there. It's just incredible, that whole dilemma of meeting Jesus, thinking we're going to take Jesus and he's already there. Several years ago now, a group of us went to Uganda to spend time learning about Viva, the organization. And I remember the conversations beforehand. There were six of us, and there was a sense in which we were asking the question, what are we going to do when we're there? We've got to go and do something. We've got to go and help build a school. Six Warners women. Ha <laughs> ha. We need to go and do something. But there was this sense that that wasn't the thing to do. We needed to go and be amongst those who were hurting. And that was a big mind shift because, you know, we're in the West. We're the capable ones. We want to go and fix a problem. And actually what Jesus was saying to us, I want you to go and be. I want you to go and be where it's difficult. Be where it's uncomfortable. Be where it's inconvenient. And have a heart of compassion for those people. Not to solve their problems, but to sit with them. And as we did that, we met Jesus there. And we saw in people who had nothing a real sense of hope in Jesus We don't just stay there because we've come back and it's changed all of us. It's changed how we see life. It's changed how we do life. It's changed how we want to support the work that is carrying on. It leads to action, but it starts with a heart of compassion. And I think if we'd gone out with a job to do, our hearts wouldn't have ached as much. Because here we are, the cavalry has arrived. We've come to solve your problems. Much more difficult to sit alongside those who are hurting than to go and try and solve a problem. But that leads to action. And because we respond from our hearts, we then live in action to do what is right and proper to do. And it's a circle, isn't it? Because once we get into the action, we can forget our heart. And there's times when we actually need to step back into that place of pain and difficulty to to have our hearts broken so that we can be as Jesus 
experiencing what he experiences. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. It's a really painful passage. He wept over Jerusalem when he saw what was going on. He weeps over our world. And we need to weep with him. To stay in that moment and then to move that and translate that into action, whatever that is. And it'll be different for every single one of us how we respond. But it starts with that place of coming alongside and showing compassion. I think this is one of the most challenging passages, particularly on Mothering Sunday. Because we all have our own thoughts today. Experiences of our own mothers, experiences of what being a mother is like or not. Good experiences, bad experiences. But the responsibility of our heart aching for our children is one that we can spread out as Jesus aches for us as his children. We can join with him in sharing that heart of compassion. I'm going to suggest we're just quiet for a couple of minutes before we then. What we're going to do is we're going to sing and the children are going to come back in and we are going to rejoice. Our children are celebrating today and that is good and right and proper. And we want to help them celebrate all that is good in today. So let's just be quiet and then we'll sing.